Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham. Joined, as always, by Colby Powell. Colby, how are we doing today? Doing great. It was a good weekend. Nice bedlam result on Saturday. Got TCU tonight. Uh, crazy Morgan Hoffman story this morning. A lot to get into. And we got a lot to get into. Uh, Oklahoma State's defensive coordinator salary has been reported as well. So we got some football mixed with some basketball and a little bit of golf. But first, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. We appreciate Chris's sponsoring the podcast and starting to get now that the, the winter storm blew through. We had a bunch of snow. It's the sun's out. It's getting me thinking a little bit towards baseball season, Colby. So if you're going to be catching some Oklahoma State baseball this season, go buy Chris's and get your latest gear. You got to get the, the interlocking OS hat from uh, from Chris's. They'll hook you up. And uh, Colby, I saw a few polls where OSU was like second in the country in baseball. I didn't know they were that loaded this year. Yeah, it depends on the poll you look at. I've seen them anywhere from second to like 23rd because there are way too many college baseball polls that get released preseason. I think we all know kind of how we feel about preseason polls. Go do it on the field. But uh, I did see somebody post a screenshot of some betting odds in Vegas. I don't know what the book was, but you could get college baseball national championship betting odds. And Texas was one. Oklahoma State was two. So in the the betting odds, that's kind of what I look at. That's pretty big time. So um yeah looking forward to baseball the os logo the interlocking os is an elite logo in in oklahoma state's uh, arsenal and carson we have got tickets for our osu baseball game it'll be little layla's first trip to stillwater when tcu comes to town we're gonna go to that sunday matinee take the little baby with us dress her up in some orange put some headphones on her and take some pictures so very much looking forward to baseball season i didn't know you'd reveal the name yet have you told me the name before have I, I thought I had. I thought I'd said you have conversations. I mean, honestly, you know how it is. You have conversations with so many people, you forget who you tell what. So, yes, Layla Jade Powell is going to be her name. Uh, she should be here on April 2nd is the plan. So, yeah, very nice. excited for that. Very excited for golf season, baseball season, all of it. Can't wait. I feel like I would have so many options for names. I would never be able to decide on one. How did you guys ultimately make a joint decision there? I'm just curious. Well, my wife is the one who threw this out. We just kind of started plucking out some names uh, that we liked. I I think this name was on a TV show that we watched a couple years ago too, that we liked. Um, And the, the old Eric Clapton song, Layla, my, my wife's a, a hippie at heart and her dad's a musician. So she grew up with music and we both loved Layla and, uh, yeah, so that's kind of where we went. And then Jade as the middle name. Uh, my grandpa passed away a year and a half ago or so, and uh, I've always wanted to – his name was LJ. He just – he didn't have a first and middle name. His name was just LJ Powell. So her initials will be LJ, which is is cool as well. So just kind of oh, cool. weeded out some of the options and found the one we liked. Layla Powell, I like it. Strong yeah. name. Yep, it'll be well, – uh, when, when she's playing for Coach Robertson here in about 20 years, it, it should look good on the back of a caddy bib. It should. And I, I'm glad the due date's April 2nd and not, say, April 13th, 14th. Is that when the Masters is? Uh, so, Carson, the Masters Sunday is April 10th. 
The original due date is April 9th. We are inducing a week early uh, for obvious reasons. Yeah, we're inducing a week early. So 39-week elective induction, it's uh, very, very much accepted now in the medical community. Um, no problems there. Doctor was all for it. My wife's all for it. Obviously, she doesn't want to be pregnant an extra week if she doesn't have to. So April 2nd's the plan. I was going to say, that's an easy sell for her. Let's get this, let's get this show on the road. So, so I don't blame her uh, whatsoever. Uh, Colby, Oklahoma State is just riding high when it comes to Bedlam these days. They, they win Bedlam basketball. It's their fourth straight win in the series against Oklahoma. And uh, we got a lot to get to with the game itself. But, you know, it's been kind of a strange season for OSU, kind of up and down. But they do get to the 500 level with the, the win over Oklahoma and Colby, it wasn't pretty at times. It wasn't, you know, one we're going to look back on years from now and remember, but you want to beat Oklahoma no matter what sport you're playing, especially when it comes to, to Bedlam basketball. Yeah, like you said, it wasn't mega memorable. It wasn't like the Cade 40 burger in Norman last year or anything like that. It was just a good, solid basketball game, and Oklahoma State was the better team. You know, Carson, this team has six conference losses by a combined 17 points. They're just losing close games, three to Kansas State, three to Iowa State, five to Texas. Uh, you know, they they lose, I guess, the one outlier. I'm sorry, the one outlier was the Texas Tech loss earlier in the season where they lost by 21 to Texas Tech. So that screwed up my stat. Uh, so wherever I, I found that stat, I apologize. Uh, but Oklahoma State's lost a lot of close games in conference. But the most fun thing, Carson, is, you, you know, when you have a little brother and you pick on him and you pick on him and you pick on him, and then one day – your little brother outgrows you and you get what you've had coming to you for a long time. That is what has happened over the past few months in this state. And it has broken the brains of the OU faithful. They don't know how to handle it. They're so used to being on top because that's where they've been for so long. And they just can't handle that. That is not where they are at currently. And I love every second of it. My Twitter timeline has never been more fun to scroll Carson. It was pretty funny that uh, Caleb Boone went there where, where you're going with the whole little brother motif that Oklahoma has held over Oklahoma State for so long. Uh, Caleb Boone said it's it's like beating up little brother. When you play little brother, it's time to beat him up. And that's exactly what he said in the post game. And I, I guess I want to start there. You know, your, your milk carton is becoming undefeated. Um, your milk carton man was, was Musa Cisse. And I thought him and Caleb Boone, the guy I just mentioned with the quote, calling Oklahoma little brother were the difference in the game. They combined for 24 points. They each had 12, uh, Caleb Boone had a huge second half, but Colby, as we've kind of talked about this season, like the strength of this team has to come inside out to, to get easier buckets at the rim. They're not a good jump shooting team. We've said that ad nauseum. Anyone who watches them knows that as well. And you wanted more out of Musa Cisse. You put him on the milk carton, and you saw why. He is He's just hard to deal with. A seven-foot-six wingspan. He, gets, he, he had a really nice back-to-the-basket game working against Oklahoma. And you saw the potential in this game against Oklahoma where things can kind of run through him, and he can dominate on both ends, not just offensively, especially with his defense as well. 
Yeah, he only registered one block on the stat sheet on Saturday, but anybody who watched that game knows that in his 21 minutes, he impacted way more than one shot at or around the rim. And also, I mean, at times, Oklahoma just wasn't going in there because, I mean, the seven-foot-four wingspan, the, the actual one block that he had was on a three-pointer uh, that was launched up. I believe it was Gibson for OU that launched it up, and I, I – took shot at him on Twitter for being too small to shoot over CSA. And there were some, some funny replies. I'm, I'm not exactly the messenger to be calling someone too small, but it's all in good fun. Uh, yeah. I mean, you see the potential. It was lob stilly on Saturday, Carson. I mean, when's the last time we had a true lob stilly? I mean, CSA was setting the screen. He was rolling ice was throwing it up and he was throwing it down. He had some violent, aggressive dunks. You combine that with the fact that Caleb Boone gives you 12 points in 17 minutes. Those two, your big men, tie for the team lead in scoring on the day. That's what this team needs to be. Those guys go 9 for 18 combined from the field. I mean, even from the free throw line, Caleb Boone, 4 of 5 with some big ones in the second half. All of his points in the second half. That was a, a style for Oklahoma State that seems like it could be sustainable with CSA and Caleb Boone having big games. Now, uh, obviously, these are guys that we've seen have consistency issues, but you can see the talent there, Carson, and you just want to see more of it. You, you get a taste, and you just want the whole meal. And it's it's certainly an adjustment for CSA coming to the Big 12, a far superior conference than where he was at Memphis. And it, it's important to note just – the level of talent that Musa Cisse is. He was ranked 14th overall in the country out of high school. Five stars, 6'10", as I mentioned, seven foot six wingspan. I'm not asking for him to be Hakeem Olajuwon offensively, but man, what we saw against Oklahoma is something I hope that we can see, we continue to see progress because that can, that really raises the ceiling of this, this team. Cause you and I Colby have wondered all year, what, what is the ceiling of this team? How, how deep is the floor? And I think as much as I've harped on Avery Anderson's kind of the, the way this team is going to go, kind of the heartbeat of the team, maybe I was wrong. Maybe, maybe if Musa Cisse continues to emerge and become the talent or really encapsulate his talent moving forward, maybe they, they go old school bully ball with, with him on, on the offensive side and let him do his thing on defense. Maybe Colby, he is the focal point of the year when I was trying to kind of fit Avery Anderson into that role. Well, and this is kind of what Mike Boynton, I think, was getting at last week is there are some really talented individual players on this basketball team. CSA has all the tools. Anderson, just a natural scorer. Bryce Thompson, Bryce Williams, who played 23 minutes on Saturday. It was good to have him back after, I believe, what was a five-game absence. And it's one of those things where – I don't know that there even is going to be one guy that you just lean on for these last eight conference games. And you say, I mean, this group of guys, they've got eight games left together. They've got no Big 12 tournament, no NCAA tournament. They've got eight games left together. And it might just be one of those situations where if you're Coach Boynton, you just have to ride the hot hand. I mean, Bryce Thompson only plays 17 minutes on Saturday. Bryce Thompson wasn't as hot as he'd been in, uh, in games past. Bryce Williams plays 23 minutes. Ice again leads the team in minutes. You can tell that he's got the trust of Coach Boynton. And it's weird, Carson. Ice didn't score Saturday. He was 0-4 from the field. And I kind of felt like he had a pretty good game. Six assists, seven rebounds. He was physical on both ends of the floor. It's, you know, I don't even necessarily need the four-shot attempts from Ice. He gives you so much elsewhere. He doesn't have to be the scorer. But I think depending on any given day, Carson, it could be Cisse, Anderson, Thompson, Williams, Boone, Walker. I mean, there's a bunch of guys who on any given day could lead this team in scoring and be the guy that's kind of the catalyst for a big win. 
Yeah, I mean, Bryce Williams returned uh, to the lineup. That's that's a huge help. And you're right. They, they don't really have one guy. You're probably right about that. It's going to be a collaborative effort every single night. But um, what they did do, Colby, is what we've talked about a lot too, just the defense really won the game for them. I mean, they forced 11 turnovers in the second half alone, uh, 17 for the game. They had eight blocks. And they had, let's see here, 12, 13 points off of turnovers. That's kind of the way they're going to be able to generate some offense, too, with their defense. And I thought I thought that won the game for them because, as, as we mentioned, it was a bit of a slog offensively. But um, I don't know, Cole. I don't know what to make of this team. I, I, I just don't. But it was encouraging to, to win. And really kind of – they kind of pulled away late. It was kind of tight there in the, in the final minutes, but they were able to pull away late and, and win pretty comfortably. Yeah, it was nice to have a game that you knew with 30 seconds left who was going to win. I mean, Oklahoma State has had some games come right down to the wire, and with 30 seconds left, you have no idea who's going to win. It was nice to just kind of relax that final minute, not have to worry about, well, is this a one-and-one? Can you stretch that lead out from one to three? It's just all those things that go into being an Oklahoma State fan and dealing with the cardiac cowboys that get all of our heart rates up. It was nice to just kind of coast through that last minute. So uh, I thought it was good. I, I really, I mean, Avery Anderson, nine points on Saturday, but I thought he played a pretty good game as well. And, you know, Keelan was only two of seven from three, which is probably, I don't even know what that is off the top of my head, probably 28, 29%. But he was timely with some of those threes that he hit in that first half, whenever Harkless was going off and Groves was going off. I mean, those two guys combined for like 24 of, I think, OU's 28 points that they had in the first half. And when those guys were going off and it looked like OU could maybe stretch that lead out to eight, 10 points if Oklahoma State was to go into one of those patented Oklahoma State slumps, Keelan didn't really let that happen. He had a couple of big threes. Bryce Thompson hit a couple of big mid-range jumpers in that first half to keep OU from going on runs. And that stuff matters in the momentum and the flow of the game. So uh, there were some guys who didn't just light up the stat sheet who I still felt like were big contributors on Saturday. Yep, I agree. And as you mentioned, they play TCU tonight here in less than an hour uh, as we're recording down in Fort Worth. Uh, it's It's you know, every game's a must win. I the, the term must win gets thrown around too often, but you got to beat TCU on the road. And they, they were in a nail biter. They erased a nine point deficit to TCU in the final three minutes when they met in January, one by one point. One of the, another one of those close games you mentioned, Colby. Now that's the game that, that Rondell Walker kind of busted out of his slump. And um, this is a game they simply need to have, Colby. But although while they, they need to have it, that's kind of the the downside to this Bedlam game. And yes, you want to beat Oklahoma. Of course you want to win Bedlam no matter what, but it's almost like, and Barry Trammell wrote a column about this. It was almost kind of like their, their bowl game, essentially their, their NCAA tournament game playing against a rival like Oklahoma. And, and what that means being, you know, is obviously, obviously also the remember the 10 game as well. It just, that's, that's a tough thing I, I think we have to kind of factor in with this team this year. These guys are college kids knowing they're not going to get to play in the NCAA tournament. And that's, that's tough. And to me, that, I, I found myself kind of thinking about that as the final seconds dwindled down. I was like, man, this is one of the few things they really have to look forward to this year. 
Yeah, it really is. And, you know, I'm sure that other fan bases, namely the one down in Norman, can make fun of that, that it's such a big deal to play them and everything. But whenever you don't have tournaments to look forward to, and that's another thing that I find so funny, Carson, when the NCAA came down and hammered Oklahoma State with the sanctions, the OU fan base was incredibly supportive. They were like, wow, even as an OU fan, this is ridiculous. This is disgusting. I can't believe the NCAA would do this. And OU was pretty much... Their fan base was lockstep like, yeah, this is ridiculous. The NCAA totally overreached. And that sentiment lasted right up until they got smacked on the hardwood. And then you know what they said? Oh, yeah, have fun with your regular season win. We'll see you in the Big 12 tournament. Oh, wait, no, we won't. It's like, okay, okay, that's fine. But you still caught that L on Saturday. So enjoy. Enjoy that L. Yeah, and I I saw this kind of went viral a little bit. Some OU fan, like, completely lost his mind about (laughs) <laughs> the students holding up uh, the newspaper with Lincoln Riley on it and the SC- USC logo and like just went just totally off the wall, off the rails about it. And was like, I, I, I hate them. I'm done with them. And just went off. And it's like, are you that easily triggered by the student section holding up a newspaper, with Lincoln Riley? Like <laughs> that, that had to just be just embarrassing for anyone that knew that guy. It's just, it's so funny. Like, oh, these fans are on the same level as Texas and USC now. It's just, again, Carson, the last few months have broken them at their core because they had one of the elite coaches in college football essentially look at them and say, look, you're not good enough, so I'm going somewhere else. That hurt their feelings deeply. They lost football bedlam. They've now lost the first basketball bedlam, and they know baseball season's not going to be fun. Softball, I mean, that's the one and two teams in the country, so obviously advantage OU until otherwise stated because they have been the best softball program in the country for years. But it's just, again, Carson, when you've been on top for so long and then you get knocked off, you just, we're seeing it. You don't handle it very well. And they're not handling it very well. And I got to say, from where I'm sitting, and I'm sure from where many of our listeners are sitting, it's quite the view. Well, it's just, it's something that they've never, ever had to deal with. I mean, no college football coach has ever left Oklahoma for another college job. It literally in the history of their, their existence, their, their program, it's never happened. And they haven't handled it all that well. Look, I think Lincoln Riley's made a, a bit of a fool of himself in the process, but I don't know. I just I think they're they're wrapped way they're they're a little too sensitive when it comes to Lincoln Riley and, and those things. I thought the crowd was awesome. Uh, shout out to the Ocali who put those newspapers together with Lincoln Riley. That's that's what makes Bedlam fun, right? And that's something I'm going to miss if they don't end up playing in basketball uh, moving forward. Uh, we know they're not going to play in football. There's just no chance of that. Although I, I think some of the my, some of the other sports are are on the table. Uh, how would you feel about it, Colby, if if Bedlam went away? Uh, I, again, we talked about this in the summer. I'd be fine with it. Um, you I mean, know, I, I, we know how you feel about football, but like, would you be opposed to them playing in other sports besides football? I guess is how I, I meant to frame it. Honestly, Carson, and this is totally going to sound like fence sitting, and I hate to be that guy, but. It doesn't really matter to me whether OU's on the schedule. I mean, if they are, it's a game that you circle. It's fun, huge bragging rights, all that good stuff. If it's not, play the schedule that's in front of you. And I know that that's not a fun answer. That's not a sexy answer. But, I mean, as much as I enjoy poking fun at OU fans, I mean, Bedlam doesn't. It's not the center of my life. It, it really is. I mean, some people take it more seriously than others. I really don't take Bedlam all that seriously. I just – I'm having fun with it because – 
OSU's up right now. It's what you do when OSU's up. And guess what? At some point, OU's going to be up, and we're going to be getting our brains beat in. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sit here and take it because I'm going to catch a bunch of flack. But that's the fun of a rivalry. So I guess, I don't know, I've almost even mid-sentence talked myself into, I don't need OU, OU and OSU to play every year in every sport, but the occasional bedlam, just so we can fire up the trash talk and get after each other a little bit, I, I definitely want the occasional bedlam to happen regardless of what sport it is. Yeah, I, I, I certainly understand that. I, I, my thoughts are well known on football. I mean, good riddance. You, you don't do business with someone for over 100 years and then, and then stab them in the back and screw them over in a major business deal that's going to cripple your business. You just don't do business with that person anymore. So in football, it's a non-starter for me. But as you were talking, I was just thinking about, do you remember when Kansas and Missouri played their last meeting before Missouri left for uh, the SEC? Do you remember that at all? Is it is in Lawrence? Oh, vaguely, vaguely, but not, not in detail at all. I'll always remember it because Kansas won late, like on a last, on the last possession, I feel like. And Bill Self let out the biggest Tiger-esque fist pump I've ever seen from from him and maybe a college coach because he knew they weren't going to play him for a while, if not ever. I guess they're, they're back playing now, I guess. But I think the way I view it is I loved it at the time when they didn't play Missouri anymore. And I thought it was a great – because let's face it, Missouri is just kind of lost in the SEC. And they they needed the rivalry with Kansas more than Kansas did. Now, you could argue it's reversed for Oklahoma State, depending on your allegiance. But as the years wore on, I kind of thought to myself, you know what? It's kind of a bummer that Missouri and Kansas don't play in basketball anymore. Now, that was Missouri's choice. They left the league. So I'd be fine if they didn't play. But I think maybe years from now, my, I guess I'll get to my point here. Maybe years from now, I will look back and wish that they did play in basketball and the, the other sports besides football. I think football is the reason this move was made. We all know that. So I think you leave that off the table and I'm fine with playing them in other sports. Yeah. I, I don't have any problem with that at all. It's look, it is a fun rivalry. It's been a long, it's been around for a long time. Uh, and again, most people, I think for the most part have fun with it. Uh, some people get really upset and, and start, uh, you know, overreacting and going crazy. I just, my Twitter blows up on Bedlam days because, again, when OSU wins, I'm going to talk my trash. When they don't, let me have it. That's totally fine. Bring it on. That's, that's the fun of a rivalry, man. You don't take it too seriously. Don't get too upset whenever your team loses and the other tr fan base talks trash. That's part of it. That's the fun of it. When you're up, you get to talk. When you're down, you have to listen. So hopefully we still get some of that in the other sports because it is fun. Well, and I think there's you can't – understate the importance of winning this game either as I mentioned four in a row that's big for Mike Boynton when they're not going to the tournament he's only been in the tournament once doesn't have an NCAA tournament win just think back to when Travis Ford was making the tournament not winning any games but making it and I guess he did win one one tournament game but he would lose to OU almost every time. I can't remember his bedlam record, but there was a period there where Lon Kruger was just, just owning him. And I think that got fans fed up quicker than the tournament losses. I really do. And so I think this was a big win for Mike Boynton. 
Yeah, definitely was. You you have to beat your rival. That's not specific to Oklahoma State. At most schools, you have to beat your rival because that's the one that people care about. And also, Carson, you need to do it at home in a lame duck season where you can't achieve anything tournament-wise at the end of the year. You've got to give people a reason to keep coming to the building. And that was a pretty good crowd on Saturday for that Bedlam game. You go out there, you beat your rival at home. That matters. It also matters, Carson, because Mike Boynton has not been shy about we don't like them. This is not just another game. We will not treat it like it is just another game because it is not. It is Bedlam. It's a big deal, and we're going to go out, and we're going to put our best foot forward. And that's what they've done four times in a row now. I think I saw the other day it's been like 796 days or something since OU beat OSU uh, at men's basketball, and it's just it, it matters uh, in a big, big way. Not only that, Carson, in a year where the NCAA takes away all of your tournament hopes, if you can go out – and do the same thing to your rival on the court and knock them out of the tournament, I mean, that that makes you feel pretty good, too, if at the end of the year you can look the opposing fan base in the eyes and say, yeah, the NCAA might have taken the tournament away from us, but we took the tournament away from you. And that that means something. Absolutely. Uh, let's get to bullets and BBs, Colby. What do you got for uh, for a bullet this week? A bullet? I mean, how do I not give it to Musa Cisse? My guy on the milk cart, and he comes out, look, he's so – so talented, ties the team lead in scoring. And actually, Carson, I'm going to amend my bullet, and I'm going to give it to the big men. I'm partial to Musa Cisse because I put him on the milk carton last week. But the big men, Musa Cisse, Caleb Boone, combining for 24 points, dominating OU on the inside, and that kind of freed everybody else up. They were both great on the defensive end as well, altering shots uh, and keeping OU from doing much in the lane. So uh, big shout-out, and a big bullet goes to Musa Cisse and Caleb Boone. Yep, that's a good one. Uh, I was going to go with Caleb Boone, but since you went there, I'm going to go with Mike Boynton. I mean, again, four straight wins over Oklahoma. That was a huge problem under Travis Ford. Uh, beat your rival, and you'll keep people a lot happier than, than they would be otherwise. And, I, and also, it's kind of a dual meaning. I, I just love the fact that he's continued the orange blazer as, a, as an homage to Kurt Budke, keeping that alive on Remember the Ten. Uh, I just think Mike Boynton just – we know he just gets it in all facets, but the way he's really put an emphasis on the remember the 10 run, the, the way he takes his players around during remember the 10 to remind them and just the way he's handled a, a, an entire situation that is so important to the history of the school. I think he's done it flawlessly. And I just, I love the fact that he keeps rocking the, uh, the orange, the orange blazer, even though they don't have to wear a suit anymore, Colby, he was rocking the remember the 10 shirt under the suit. I thought it was a great look. So I'm going with Mike Boynton. The black Remember the Ten shirt under the orange blazer is a good look, uh, and Mike Boyne pulled it off very well on Saturday. It's been great to see what he's done with Remember the Ten. It's, it, and we've talked about this before, Carson, but Mike Boynton, he didn't go to Oklahoma State. He's not from Stillwater. He's not a quote-unquote OSU guy, but he got there, and he, he just he understood it. He understood the culture. He understood what we've all been through as a fan base and as a university, the tragedies that have brought us all together and the family mentality of Oklahoma State. I mean, he really got that from the very beginning, and I think that that's a big part of what won over the hearts of a ton of Oklahoma State fans for Mike Boynton. Uh, my BB Carson, and this isn't going to be some big surprise. I've alluded to it uh, already at, to, to this point in the show. I mean, just the softest fan base in the country. My God. I mean, a couple of things don't go your way once in your life, and you're just having emotional breakdowns on the Internet every single 
today. Yes, Lincoln Riley left. Yes, he's being kind of a tool about it. You know, it is what it is. If you think you're better off without him, as you keep telling me on social media, then who cares? Move on. And yes, you're losing the Bedlam Series 10 to 3 this year. And yes, you've lost it eight of the last 10 years. You're going to lose it again this year. You've won it a whole bunch of times. It's okay to take a back seat. It's okay to take an L without turning in to such little crybabies. So my BB Carson goes to the softest fan base, the folks down there in Norman. Oh, you're just trying to get them riled up right now, aren't you? I so am, Carson. I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> I don't know how many OU fans we have listening to this podcast, but if there's one or two, they're they're definitely they're definitely coming after you on Twitter after this. Well, well my problem is is it, I mean, obviously, a listener's always going to take any of the inflammatory things I say about the OU fan base, put it on Twitter, and tag me, and then that's when they get fired up. So can't wait. As much as I would like to pile on, I don't really have one for, for OU. I'm going to go kind of off the radar here with my my uh, BB. What in the blue hell was Jordan Spieth thinking hitting that shot off the cliff at Pebble Beach? Colby, it is not an exaggeration to say he could have fallen to his death while playing golf. Uh, I got to give it to Jordan. Look, he hit the shot and he ended up making par, but that, seeing those pictures when they had like the side views showing you the slope that he was kind of standing towards was, was insane. I got to go with Jordan. I mean, come on, man, you're, you're, you're playing golf here. Let's uh, just take your, take your penalty and move on. Carson, you were a TV guy for a long time. So I want to pose this question to you. We were talking about it yesterday on the 73rd hole podcast. Um, if he falls, what does TV do in that scenario? Do they just immediately cut to break? Does the screen go black? Do they show it? What What does TV do if he falls, Carson? Um, I don't think they show it. I think they they have a, a huge delay on there for for obvious reasons. Uh, I think they they cut away and they go to they go to Nance in the booth and say this is what happened. Um, but I don't. I'm glad we don't have to find out. But I think they I think they would have cut away honestly. Yeah, kind of like. Um, do you remember? Uh, this just popped into my head. Do you remember Owen Hart and in, in WWE back in, then? It was no, WWF. He. I don't. He died. They were kind of. They're trying to lower him from the the rafters on like a cable, and it, it had something went wrong, and he fell to his death. And they, they just came to Jim Ross at the desk, and he he basically just explained what happened on camera. So that I think. That's kind of came to mind, but fortunately we don't have to worry about that because man, that was, that was freaky. That was a really good BB though, Carson. Cause my, my mind didn't even go there, but yeah, he even talked about it after the round. It's like, how do you explain that to your wife that you're trying to save one shot in the third on the front nine of the third round of a golf tournament? It was like whenever, nine back. He was like nine shots back at the time. And he's, he's already one of the best players in the world. It's not like he's grinding out a life-changing career-changing win at Pebble. It was, I mean, Carson, I wasn't watching it live. I don't remember what we were doing. Uh, so, oh, yeah, I was taking my lights off, the my Christmas lights off the house. I had surgery right after Christmas, so I haven't been able to do that for a month. So my neighbors have been getting to look at my bright orange lights up until February. But, uh, yeah, I watched the replays that night on Twitter. I watched every angle for like 10 minutes. I laid there and watched it. And I just had such anxiety watching it because, I mean, you know, we both play golf. 
sometimes you lose your balance on a golf swing, stuff like that. I thought the best part of it, Carson, was that even with all that going on and even as fast as he backpedaled, did you notice that he club twirled as he backpedaled? Who club twirls as they're backpedaling away from the cliff? They just tried to not fall over and die. I think it's just become part, like he just twirls it even on bad shots. I think he just, it's like part of his routine. I, yeah. I think he does it subconsciously. Yeah, you're but, probably but That right. was pretty funny. Yeah, that was a good one. 68 feet, he would have fallen. So glad that that didn't happen. Yeah, for sure. And while we're here, uh, the game is about to tip off in about 20 minutes between Oklahoma State and TCU. It's time for the favorite segment of the week. Who are you putting on the milk carton? The milk carton's undefeated. You got a lot of pressure here to keep batting 1,000. See, and this is the thing. I even debated saying, you know, I, I'm not even going to do a milk carton tonight because I don't want to put somebody on there who doesn't need to be on there, this, that, and the other. Um, it, it's tough, Carson. I think it helps, though, like the point you made about how it's kind of different guys each night. I think that kind of helps the, the milk carton live on. I think it helps it kind of stay relevant because I, I do think some guys are capable of popping up on a given night. It does, and the problem is, is I obviously can't put Cissé on there. He just had a big game. He's not missing. Caleb Boone is not missing. Rondell Walker's not missing. He's played well for a handful of games now. Um, Carson, this isn't fair, and I, I shouldn't do this, but the options are limited this way. I'm not going to put ice on there, even though he had zero points on Saturday. His scoring isn't what he brings to the floor. I'm going to put the guy on there who's only been missing, in large part because of his injury, Bryce Williams. We'll put Bryce Williams on there. He missed five games, so he's been missing. And then he comes back Saturday for Bedlam, two points in 23 minutes. You know, he averages double-figure scoring per game. So, for lack of a better option, I, I even thought about M.A. Moncrief, but I don't know where he stands in the rotation right now. I was really taken aback by him getting two minutes on Saturday and putting up straight zeros all the way across the stat sheet in his two minutes. I, I was really taken aback by the lack of playing time that he got on Saturday, so I don't know if he's in the doghouse. I don't know what's going on there. So he was seemingly a more obvious candidate for me, um, but because I don't know where he stands in the rotation, we're going to throw Bryce Williams out there because the Bryce Williams that we all know and have come to love, shooter, high-flying athlete, that's the guy that Oklahoma State needs this week, uh, tonight as they take on TCU. And then who's the Saturday opponent this week? Oh, it's West Virginia in Stillwater. So Oklahoma State, I think, is going to need uh, good Bryce Williams this week in order to go 1-1 one and one or 2-0 two and two, two and oh in these games. Those were the two guys I was looking at, and for the same reasons, I was going to lean uh, Bryce Williams as well because I think M.A. Moncrief, his minutes might get – uh, even less now that Caleb Boone seems to be back in the fold. So Bryce Williams is on the milk carton this week, and uh, we'll see here in about 20 minutes how he does. So uh, we'll see if Colby can keep batting 1,000. Um, we have some big news here, Colby. We were kind of wondering how much money Oklahoma State was going to fork out to Derek Mason, the new defensive coordinator, and a big get from the Ocali. Shout out to the Ocali, my old stomping grounds. I worked there when I was in school, eventually became the sports editor there. So shout out to the Ocali's Chris Becker. He reported that uh, Derek Mason will make $1.1 million on a two-year deal. The contract is still in the work, the works, according to Becker, but he made $1.5 million as the Auburn defensive coordinator. So essentially, Colby, he's taking a $400,000 pay cut to move from the SEC in Auburn to come coach for Mike Gundy. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty noteworthy. Carson, it's wild is what it is. And, and I said this whenever we found out the salary on Twitter. Like, Brian Harson must be the absolute worst 
I mean, you're leaving Auburn, the SEC, to come to Oklahoma State, which, look, it's a good job. Jim Knowles came here, had a ton of success. Now he's in Columbus. That'll probably be a leapfrog to a big-time head coaching gig for Jim Knowles at some point if he has the kind of success there that he had in Stillwater. This is a good job in Stillwater. But a $400,000 pay cut, of course, $400,000 is it's not nothing. I mean, that's nearly a third of his salary that he's taking a cut to come to Oklahoma State. I mean, that's a big deal. That tells me, A, Brian Harson must be the worst. B, he and Mike Gundy must have established a pretty decent relationship if he decided that, you know, Oklahoma State at 1.1 was a better situation for him than Auburn at 1.5. I mean, that's a big deal, Carson. So I was honestly knowing that he was making 1.5 at Auburn, I thought Oklahoma State was going to be in the 1.35 range is kind of where I expected it. So when I saw 1.1, I was a little taken aback that he took nearly a half a million dollar cut to come to Stillwater. It's kind of what I thought would happen, though. Like, I know he was making 1.5 at, at Auburn. I, I didn't think Oklahoma State would pay him that. Um, but I am impressed with Oklahoma State stepping up to pay a coordinator. It's the highest salary they've ever paid for a coordinator, over $1 million per year. That's just where the sport's heading. Uh, what's, what's crazy is Mike Gundy only made 700000 his first season at Oklahoma State back in 2005. That shows you just where the salaries have gone since then. But it's it's impressive, and I, I'm with you. I, I think – I don't know if Harson's the worst, but there's a lot going on there. There's all sorts of rumors with him uh, that we don't that aren't really confirmed. Uh, their offensive coordinator just stepped down for personal reasons. It seems to be a real – mess at Auburn so maybe he just wanted to get out of a mess more so than he couldn't stand Brian Harson. although maybe that's part of it we don't really know but I do think it says a lot about Mike Gundy and coaches wanting to work for him and I think that's also something we don't talk enough about we talk about his coordinators getting hired away but guys don't just up and leave Mike Gundy very often for similar positions it usually takes either a head coaching role or a, a major title change for them to leave. Um, and so that's, that's something I, I think speaks, speaks well on Mike Gundy. And I, I just, I'm fired up about this hire. Although the most interesting thing to me about it, Colby was the fact that it's a two-year deal, which I don't know if that's standard for a coordinator. I, I can't remember what Jim Knowles was when he signed on, but to me that, that kind of looks to me from, from, from an outsider looking in that this is a short stay and he's going to try and go get a head coaching job. That's just how I view it. Yeah, that's absolutely how I view it whenever the contract details came out. Um, I mean, there's a chance he's here for a year. There's a chance he's here for two years. Is he here for more than two years? I don't know. Let's just get the absolute best out of him that we can get while he's here. I mean, you go out and you get a guy that's been around for a long time, and he's done some good things as a head coach in the SEC. Pretty good first year under Brian Harson at Auburn. I mean, it, it wasn't a very good Auburn team. And let's remember, this defense – Yes, they gave up the big, long drive that allowed Alabama to get into the playoff and get into the national title game and take my money. But, I mean, they pretty much stymied Bryce Young, and that's when they had Jamison Williams and uh, and Mechie out there as Mechie, well. Yeah. yeah, and Mechie out there as well. So, I mean, that was a good defense at Auburn. Honestly, Carson, if, if OSU fans want to stay up tonight and lose sleep about how long Derek Mason's going to be here, they're welcome to. I mean, I would just say to those people who worry about how long coordinators are going to be around, just don't. Just don't let that get to you. Don't don't even let it enter your mind. He'll be here for a year, two years, three years. Get the absolute best out of him. And then you know what you do when he's gone? 
go hire the next best guy on the market. Just go get another absolute stud to come to Stillwater because you are pumping out star defensive coordinators who are getting bigger jobs. That's what I want Oklahoma State to turn into, Carson. I want it to be the place that big-time defensive coordinators want to come because they know that Oklahoma State will vault them to where they really want to be in their careers. That would be an unbelievable place for Oklahoma State to sit. Absolutely, and, and this is what I've always asked uh, of Mike Gundy and the, and the Oklahoma State administration. Go pay top dollar. Go, you got the money. They, they've paid. They've paid guys really well for coordinator positions, dating back to to Mike Yersich. Mike Yersich came in making over half a million dollars without without calling one play at the Division One level. And my opinion's always been, if you're going to pay guys really good money, go get the best guy. Go 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 hire the guy with the best credentials. Pay him a lot of money, and if he moves on, so be it. So I'm right there with you, and I, I just want to applaud. Mike Gundy and administration for doing it. I think it's a big time hire and I think he'll be able to keep the momentum rolling because like you mentioned his one year at Auburn, he made a difference and he's inheriting some talent at Oklahoma state on the defensive side. So it's, I don't know, Colby, it's shaping up to me. Like my, my expectations for Oklahoma state are only growing by the day for football season next year with, with Spencer Sanders coming back with, with the defensive players they do have returning combined with Derek Mason filling in for, for Jim Knowles. I'm really bullish on Oklahoma State next year. I, I really am. Yeah, and I think that you have every reason to be. I, I'll be very curious to see. I mean, at the start of the next season, I'm looking at OU, OSU, and Baylor. I, I mean, I think Baylor's going to be pretty – I just – I really like Dave Aranda, man. I think he's a good head coach. That team was so, so improved. Dave Aranda's a good, aggressive head coach. He's very modern in his decision-making, and that helped Baylor out a ton this year. Can they replicate what they did this past season? I don't know. I don't know if they can replicate it. I don't know if Oklahoma State can replicate it. We're, we're all trying to figure it out on the fly. OU is still going to be a good team. Getting Dylan Gabriel to replace Caleb Williams, that's good for Oklahoma. They're still going to be a good team. But those are kind of the three schools that I'm looking at, Carson. I know some people will throw Texas out there. I don't know how good the Quinn Ewers kid is. I know he was a big-time prospect coming out of high school, goes to Ohio State, and, uh, and that didn't work out. So now he's in Austin. Maybe he's the guy to turn it around down there. But that's kind of one of those – I'll believe it when I see it situations in Austin. I think that's kind of where we're all at with Texas. So for the time being, Carson, I think uh, OSU, OU, and Baylor are the three that, schools that most people are going to be looking at next year to start the Big 12 Conference late. I agree, yeah. and I think once OU leaves, it's it's going to become a, a Baylor-Oklahoma State conference. I think they're the two kind of flag, flag bearers for, for the Big 12 moving forward. I, I really do. Baylor's shown big-time commitment with Dave Aranda, paying him what they're paying him. And just, I think they're here to stay with Oklahoma State. So I'm right there with you. And speaking of loyal assistants, you know, that that's another positive to the Derek Mason coming into the fold is that they don't lose Jim Bob Clements. He's moving over to linebackers. And apparently that's what Jim Knowles was oversaw when he was at Oklahoma State. And so just reading between the lines here, they signed Derek Mason to a two-year deal. Jim Bob moves to, uh, or sorry, Jim Bob. Joe Bob moves to linebackers. To me, reading between the lines, Colby, it kind of seems as if Mike Gundy sat Clements down and said, look, I'm hiring Derek Mason, but I want you to move to linebackers where Jim Knowles was. I don't expect Derek Mason to be here more than two years. When that time comes, I think you'll have a more, more knowledge of the entire defense having coached a different position group. You'll be the guy. And so he, he stuck around. At least that's, that's my overall inference reading between the lines 
Yeah, it's one of those things where you you try to connect dots, right? We all do it. We try to connect dots and figure out and and, and see the future. But uh, Joe Bob's just kind of slowly making his way up the list. And I don't know what the future holds with Joe Bob, but I know in the meantime, I mean, everybody talks about what a good coach he is, what a good guy that he is. Just keep plotting away. I mean, you just have good coaches. That's going to be an important position for Oklahoma State because that was the heart and soul of this past year's defense with Malcolm Rodriguez and Devin Harper. Those guys are out the door. There's still some pretty good talent backing those guys up. So I think Oklahoma State's going to be fine there. But, I mean, you lose two of, two of the better linebackers that you've had, uh, I mean, in the last decade, two decades in the school's history, really. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be a big position for Joe Bob and hopefully a good stepping stone for him to be where he wants to be in his career because I know that that's a guy that Oklahoma State fans uh, and I'm sure that other Oklahoma State coaches, Mike Gundy and administration, really don't want to lose. Absolutely not. I mean, just look at the job he's done on the defensive line. I mean, think back, Colby, where Oklahoma State was defensive line depth-wise before Joe Bob. And it's, you know, they, they put some guys in the NFL. Emmanuel Ogba comes to mind. Ugo Chinasa comes to mind over the years. Several, yep, that's another good one. Uh, they, they put in some, some guys in the league. But the overall depth and just the overall look of the defensive line left a lot to be desired. And it's totally changed now over the last three, four, five years under under Joe Bob, where they've become arguably the strength of the defense over the last three, four years. I think that that speaks a lot about his coaching acumen, his recruiting acumen, and so I'm glad he's he's staying on staff because I think he's 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 a really good coach and has done a great job. So I'm glad he's still on on staff. So, how about former Oklahoma State quarterback Zach Robinson coaching in the Super Bowl? Colby. I do think it's ironic because Zach spent most of his NFL career with the Cincinnati Bengals. That's who he's coaching against. But that's not where the parallels end. He's coaching against Zach Taylor, who played, played at Norman High School, played quarterback at Nebraska. They didn't know each other, but apparently uh, Zach's dad and Zach Robinson's dad and Zach Taylor's dad both played I was gonna say which, at Oklahoma. Which yeah, both Zach's dads played at Oklahoma, and they were both named, because they both spell it the same way, Z-A-C, they were both named after an OU football player named, if I can find it in the article, named Zach, obviously, but I can't remember the guy's last name. So there's a lot of a lot of local parallels there with, with Zach Robinson coaching the Super Bowl. Yeah, no doubt. That's really cool for Zach Robinson. And like you said, spent a lot of time with the Bengals. And it's funny how it worked out. I mean, there weren't very many people who predicted Rams Bengals whenever this thing started uh, a month or so ago. It's a cool story. It's going to be a fun Super Bowl. I know that you're holding a Bengals ticket, so you kind of hope that works out. I feel like, and this is anti an anti-Zach Robinson statement here, not intentionally, I feel like most people are rooting for the Bengals, Carson. Don't they feel like kind of the more fun story for everybody? Yeah, the, there's just something about the Rams that aren't that likable. I don't really know what it is. Is it because they're in L.A. and they're just yes. – they're not really L.A.'s team? Is that it? Is it because they I think sold to, to out me, with all the big-name free agents? I don't know. I, I think it's organic, which is the Bengals. What, what Cincinnati's done is organic. They drafted Jamar Chase. They drafted T. Higgins. They drafted Joe Burrow. They went from two wins, number one overall pick, to the Super Bowl in two years, and they did it organically. They drafted Joe Mixon. I mean, they've got some good guys, and they did it organically, and they did it quickly. What did the Rams do? 
The Rams went out. They got Matthew Stafford from elsewhere. They got Aldo Beckham from elsewhere. They got uh, Jalen Ramsey from Jacksonville. They got Von Miller from Denver. It, it's not, it just doesn't have the organic feel that Cincinnati does. Also, just the mega underdog status of Cincinnati. Everybody loves an underdog. And the Cincinnati Bengals, which have just been a train wreck for the last 30-plus years. I mean, that's an underdog story if you've ever seen one coming from number one in the draft and then number five in the number five or number six, where they pick Chase. And then the next year you're in the Super Bowl, and that doesn't just happen. So I think all those things combine to make the Bengals very likable. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, that's, that's probably most of it. Uh, Zach Henderson was the OU football player they're both named after. And I'm just, I'm really happy for Zach Robinson. He came on this podcast. We did a live show down in uh, the Dallas area. Me and Kyle Porter had had Zach on live. And this is back when he was kind of coaching high school quarterbacks, getting them groomed and ready for the next level and kind of running his own, his own business down there. And to see the way his coaching career has progressed, I mean, it's kind of crazy too. He, he replaced Zach Taylor on the Rams coaching staff when, when, when Zach Taylor went to Cincinnati. And so I think Zach Robinson, the way his career is trending, the, the way that the trend of hiring young quarterback guru type head coaches in the NFL, I don't know. Maybe Zach Robinson will be a, a head coach in the NFL someday, but he says he's happy in LA. He loves it there. He loves coaching under, under Sean McVay. Uh, just really happy for Zach Robinson. He's one of the, one of the best dudes I ever covered. Uh, he's a super nice guy. Great, great football player, Oklahoma State legend. And uh, if the Rams win and my, my Cincinnati ticket goes up in flames, I'll be happy for Zach Robinson. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of those – he's one of those guys that you're not going to find anybody to say a bad word about Zach Robinson. And his era of football at Oklahoma State was so much fun. Him and Dez doing their thing, and, and it was just – it was a blast. That era, he was fun to watch. Uh, and, yeah, I hope he is a head coach in the league someday. Uh, I mean, shoot, I would take him today over Mike McCarthy. Sign me up. You'd take, you'd take a wet mop over Mike McCarthy these days. My wife's sitting across from me. She's 32 weeks pregnant. I'd take her over Mike McCarthy. Yeah, I mean, I mean I'd, I'd do a better job than that guy. I'd play Madden, you know. That's about my exactly. coaching acumen. Exactly. Uh, but did you do it in a cabin for a year? Because that's what Jerry Jones cares about. Yeah, God, the Cowboys are such a mess. I feel I almost feel bad for you, but I don't because I don't like the Cowboys. That is incredibly fair. <laughs> One more uh, really interesting story to get to, Colby, before we give our uh, our golf picks for our one and done. We didn't done that last week, but we'll, we'll get back to him this week. Uh, really interesting story on Morgan Hoffman, former Oklahoma State golfer. Remember, he played on those great teams with with Peter Uline and and Kevin Tway and, and those guys. Uh, there's a great article on him from, uh, is it Golf Digest, Colby? Uh, I believe it was Golf Digest, yes, Daniel Rappaport. Yeah, Daniel Rappaport wrote a story about Morgan Hoffman, and if you don't know his story, he was like the number one amateur when he was in college, was an unbelievable golfer at Oklahoma State, played on the PGA Tour, played in the Masters, and he developed, mus uh, he was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy, and his his pectoral muscle and his on his right side, I believe just started withering away suddenly. And he didn't know what was wrong. And he went to, you got to read the story. I've tweeted it out. I'm sure Colby has as well. And he just, his career was, was basically gone with that diagnosis because he was losing swing speed and just went kind of into a, a deep dark place. And he's kind of emerged in this story. He's living in Costa Rica, doing a lot of natural kind of healing, natural cleansing. He's done all sorts of stuff to where 
he's really been kind of jaded and and kind of turned his back on western medicine and doctors and kind of doing his own little his own little remedies and things of that nature in uh, Costa Rica and, and apparently Colby is is picked clubs back up and is practicing and has seen some progress with his his muscles and things of that nature it's just a a fascinating read on someone with Oklahoma State ties yeah it's a long read but you've got to go read I mean if you're a golf fan at all or an Oklahoma State fan or just if you're a fan of a weird and, and crazy and fun. And, and that seems to be what Morgan Hoffman is. He, he went to this uh, natural healing, you know, uh, original medicine, as he calls it. He doesn't like the term alternative medicine, original medicine that's been around for thousands and thousands of years because Western medicine failed him and told him that he, you know, wouldn't be able to walk again and the muscular dystrophy was going to get the better of him. And he goes down there, no windows or doors in the house, lives up on a hill overlooking the ocean. He's just one of the locals there in town. He's an honorary local. Um, and, and, you know, nobody down there knows who he is. Nobody knows that he played on the PGA Tour. They don't know uh, that, that he was at one time one of the best golfers in the world. He was the number one amateur in the world on a team that included Peter Uline and Ricky Fowler and Kevin Tway. I mean, Morgan Hoffman was the real deal. He, he had swing speeds in the 120s before everybody had speed swings in the 120s. Um, so, look, he's got three starts left on a major medical exemption on the PGA Tour that he's going to, I think, try to fly up from Costa Rica this season and make those three starts. Is it likely that he parlays three starts into a tour card? No, it's not likely. Does he want to go out and grind on the Corn Ferry Tour and try to get his card back? I don't know. I mean, he and his wife have a foundation. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of money to be made in professional golf if you can make it work. But, I mean, the, the, the vibe that I got from that story is that he's incredibly happy down there, living his, his simple life, waking up every morning, going to the beach, meditating, going surfing. It's, uh, it, it truly is a wild story. It's a wild life that he's living. And good on him for uh, taking control of his life and doing what he wanted to do to make himself happy and do what he thought was best for him and his body. And, uh, I mean, more power to him. It's, you know, take control of your life, do what you want to do, go be happy. It's, it's different, but different isn't wrong. It's just right and wrong is, is what you make of it in your life. So uh, I, I found his story incredibly inspiring, and I will be rooting like crazy for him when he makes those three starts. How does that work with the three starts? Can he pick like the weakest fields and try to do his best there? Are there certain tournaments you can enter? I don't know how that works. Yeah, so on a major medical and Bovan, no, was Bovan Pell on a medical or was he on a, uh, he might not have been on a career money exemption. So the different exemptions have different kind of status to them because these PGA Tour events and COVID has even thrown another wrench into it. And it's honestly hard to keep up with now in the COVID era because you have more guys with status than you have spots in tournaments. So some tournaments, bigger fields, uh, higher level events, those tournaments, even with his medical, he wouldn't be able to get into. So I would expect it to be, I mean, I'm, I'm not picking his schedule out for him, but I would expect it to be like the Valero Texas Open um, and, and some tournaments like that that aren't the, you know, I don't expect him to see, see him at Riviera. I don't expect him to see him, see him at the Memorial because those tournaments are going to fill up faster. I would expect to see him with, with the status that he'll have at tournaments like the Valero Texas Open or the Houston Open or things like that. Um, tournaments that are going to have strength the field in the hundreds and two hundreds, as opposed to strengths of field in the five hundreds and six hundreds, which is a nerdy golf way to say, yes, he'll probably wind up in some weaker fields because that's what his status will get him. Interesting. And yeah, I mean, it, it, it would be, a, it would be a wild story 
if he does if he does play in those three. I think he's going to try. He has to do it in 2022. But I thought the most interesting thing about the article that really kind of hit home with me was the, the writer, Daniel Rappaport, who did an unbelievable job, kind of posed the question, like, this guy's extremely happy. He loves life here. Does he really want to go back to the the grind and the, the stress of a of professional golf? Maybe not. And he, he certainly doesn't need the money, Colby. He, um, you know, he, he made money playing golf, but he also is part owner of, of Grayson, which is a, a clothing company in, in the world of golf. It's, it's very high end and it's, it's done very well. I think it uh, generates 2.5 million in sales per year. Um, so he's got stake in that and he's got plenty of money. So you don't have to worry about grinding on the PGA tour to make money. So it's, I, I hope he, does what he wants to do, but I would love to see him back. But if not, it sounds like he's, he's living a good life down there. Yeah, absolutely. does. And, and again, it's, it's a different life. He, uh, Rappaport said that he didn't wear shoes the whole time he was there at one time. He, he wore like, what looked like some socks with rubber soles. If he was doing a workout or something, no shoes, no shirt, just enjoying life. Uh, it said in that article that, that he, No, they were talking about in the story, like you get there stripped down naked, buried up to your neck in the dirt, taking in the, uh, taking in everything. It's just, it's wild. I I cannot recommend it highly enough golf fan or not. uh, I mean, obviously most people listening are going to be Oklahoma state fans and Morgan Hoffman has the tie there, but it's just a really, really interesting story about an alternative lifestyle. And it's, it's fascinating to me, Carson. I, I read it. I mean, it's a 15 minute read probably. And I was just on the edge of my seat the whole time. Like I was fascinated. It's unbelievable. Go read it. Yep. I remember watching him on those great OSU teams. Uh, not that long ago, just a interesting story. I, I kind of wonder what it, what he had uh, been doing lately. And that was a good read. I would encourage everyone who's listening to go, go read it and, and pull for him when he does make his return to the PGA tour. All right, Cole, before we get out of here, what do you got for uh, one and done picks? One and done, Carson. I have been racking my brain trying to come up with a one and done pick for this week. Last week I was on Spieth, so that was good. Got me nearly a million uh, at at ATMT Pebble. This week I have gone back and forth between so many players because I'm trying to find a guy who's on form and has good course history, and it seems like I can find one or the other, but not both. Hideki, I really want to save Hideki. I really actually like his chances a lot at Southern Hills coming up in Tulsa at the end of May. Uh, I think I've got it narrowed down to Russell Henley and Louis Oosthuizen, so I'm probably going to run one of those guys out. Um, but, man, I, I'm i not 100% committed to either one, but it, I'm betting it's going to be one of those two, and I'll have to figure it out by uh, about 14 hours from now because that's when we're recording the 73rd hole when we have to give out our official picks. So I'll need to figure it out by early tomorrow morning. Well, for anyone listening and wondering why we're doing this, because Colby and I are big golf fans and we're in multiple one-and-done leagues, but I'm also trying to help you guys make money because yours truly oh. had a ticket on Tom Hoagie last week. That was a that was a pretty big payout. So I'm just trying to help the listener. If you want to dabble in some some golf, some DFS, that's what we're here to do. And don't uh, be modest, Carson. That's the second winner you've hit already this year, right? That's True in a sense. I had a ticket on Russell Henley when he was the when he was leading the final round by three shots going into the final round. But Hideki scared me. So the the beauty, the beautiful part about this is you, know, you put 10 bucks on Russell Henley, gonna win you three, four hundred dollars. Hideki was 
three to one. I put a hundred dollars on him and hedged and they, they, go to a, they go to a playoff. And I'm like, all of a sudden it dawned on me. Oh, I need to be rooting for Hideki here. I got a hundred committed to him. I only got 10 committed to, to, uh, to Henley. So that, that worked out quite well. So yeah, I've, I'm, I've hit two this year. So we'll see if I can keep it going. You named one, you named my one and done pick. I'm going with Russell Henley. Uh, this is a, an approach course. That's what's most important. He has very spotty course history, and this is a place where course history matters. But I didn't want to go with one of the big guns for this tournament because it's it's such a deep field. It's such a great field. It's the best field they've had, I think, ever by a long ways. And so I don't – with that many big names, that jumbled of, of talent, I kind of want to go a little bit off the radar and, and hope I can, can jump up there and get a winner that – not everyone has because I think Hideki is a, a free a free space, but I'm with you. I want to save Hideki for for somewhere else, even though this is probably his best course. Um, so I'm I'm going Russell Henley. Uh, the number the approach numbers are there, even if the the uh, course history is not. So that's that's my pick this week. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I'm uh, obviously we're not going to sit here and do play by play, but OSU TCU getting underway, playing in front of tens of people in Fort Worth. Carson should be a barn burner. Oh, that. That was going to be my my bullet. I forgot. Let me let me, let me retrace my steps here as we end the show. One more bullet is to the Oklahoma State fan base. Over eleven thousand people showed up to Gallagher Iba amidst a snow and ice storm that happened earlier in the week. The thirst for OSU basketball has never left. It didn't leave when Sean had to be dismissed by Mike Holder. It didn't leave when Travis Ford just could not get out of his own way. It didn't leave when Brad Underwood had the place packed and just left in the middle of the night like Lincoln Riley. And it still hasn't left with, with Mike Boynton and the fact they've been up and down and, and haven't won a tournament game. The thirst is there. Oklahoma State is now a football school, I'm willing to admit. But their roots are deep for basketball. And I think there's no greater example than that than a 11 a.m tip-off on a Saturday amidst a winter storm that 11,000 people show up. So my bullet goes to Oklahoma State fans, and it, to me, it's, it's just further proof that Oklahoma State can be elite at basketball. The fan base is there. They've got the facilities. They have a recruiting base now with Texas becoming such a, a talent-laden state that wasn't the case many, many years ago. I just – I think it's a it's – a, it's a, Consistent reminder that the thirst for Oklahoma State basketball is alive and well, regardless of results, regardless of lack of attendance on weeknights when they haven't been to the tournament or haven't won a tournament game in so long. So I want to commend the OSU fans because that was big time. That's great, Carson. I love this fan base. I know you do too. Uh, and I know that the university and the, and the teams and the programs appreciate all the support. It was a big time crowd on Saturday and you're right. There's a lot of, thirst and a lot of love for Oklahoma State basketball so hopefully I know this year's tough and I know that the NCAA stuff it's it's brutal it really is it came at a bad time whenever this program had a ton of momentum but hopefully Mike Boynton is the guy to overcome that and get this program back where it belongs absolutely uh Colby we'll get back with you later in the week yes sir hopefully it's a good result tonight in Fort Worth go folks